Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program. And I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest is a returning guest today, our Reasonable Voice, Patricia Helen Lamarche, author, Green Party candidate for vice president in 2004, wife and mother of two, whose newest books discuss homelessness in the age of Donald Trump. Pat Lamarche is an award-winning broadcaster and journalist, has spent a lifetime traveling around the world and across the nation, telling the tales of ordinary folks living through unimaginable hardship. Her two non-fiction books, Left Out in America and Daddy, What's the Middle Class?, exposed the harsh realities of life for the impoverished American and their ongoing struggle to survive. In 2004, Lamarche took on both Dick Cheney and John Edwards as the Green Party's vice presidential candidate. In recent years, Pat Lamarche has started writing fiction with her novel, Magic Diary, and her Priscilla Kids book series. We're happy to have her join us again today because November is Homeless Awareness Month. Not that we shouldn't be aware of it every month, but... Veterans Day and, coincidentally, Homeless Awareness Month both fall in November. Pat Lamarche has a new book out revealing the truth about homelessness. It explains everything from HUD to climate change and the challenges posted by the upcoming eviction tsunami. It's published by Sunbury Press and is entitled Still Left Out in America. That's still, S-T-I-L-L, Left Out in America. Welcome back, Pat LaMarche. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, when we finished the last time, I remembered uh, I wanted you back because you had mentioned November being the Homelessness Awareness Month. And as a veteran, I was aware of, you know, Veterans Day falls in November, but also because I just had hopes that things were going to change. Of course, they haven't quite changed yet with a little stubbornness and childishness in high places. But the world and America and homelessness are not going to suddenly, uh, and COVID-19 for that matter, suddenly be better on January 20th. So I think if for no other reason, we need to have you back to wake us up. And one of the things, if you don't mind my starting, one of the things I asked Pat before we came on the air, because she had mentioned zero barrier shelters for tough weather. And I frankly didn't know what a zero barrier shelter was until Pat Lamarche told us. So will you tell everybody there, Pat, now? Yeah, um, a zero barrier shelter is uh, usually only employed for um, in very inclement weather. You've heard of warming centers and cooling centers. When it's 110 degrees out, they'll open up a gymnasium and let people come in and cool off. Or when it's 10 below, they'll have a warming center in a town where people can can get warm. Uh, of course, COVID-19 and the upcoming and sometimes now current lockdowns are making public places where people go to get warm harder to get into, like libraries. Mm. 
But what happens with a zero barrier shelter is there are no questions asked when you present yourself to the shelter. Now, there are some year round in some places like New York City, where there are probably 250,000 homeless people a night in the city. So they have zero barrier shelters all the time, but usually they're only employed when the weather will dip below freezing or in many cases below zero Fahrenheit. Then, uh, you know, you have your problem of people freezing to death outside. So no questions are asked. They don't ask for a background check. If you have a criminal record, you're not barred from the shelter. The attendants at a zero barrier shelter stay awake all night because you don't know. You might have a a four-year-old next to someone on Megan's Law. Uh So the staff is awake, and it's it's like any public place. You know, you, you don't have to pass a background check to go to a Walmart. So it's a shelter that allows people in with no questions asked simply so that they don't have deaths due to weather. Okay. And so what that implies, as you told me before we started the show, is that there are shelters that generally do ask for personal information before allowing you in. And I understand the safety factor. I do. But tell me some of the questions that are asked of people before they can enter a shelter, because you said a very interesting thing. I thought uh, just because they're shelters doesn't mean they're sheltering. Can you explain right. that to us? Well, it, it depends on the shelter. In some shelters in the, across the country, you won't be allowed in if you have a child over 12. Really? So if you have a 14-year-old and a 5-year-old, you have to choose which child you want to have sheltered. You can keep the whole family out for the sake of the 14-year-old, or you can send your teen on their own to get the five-year-old in out of the elements. Those shelters, if they receive federal funds, have to, with the PARTH Act that was passed under the Obama administration, any federally funded shelter must allow teens up till 18 as soon as the PARTH Act is funded which <laughs> it's never been funded. Okay. So, <laughs> so there are, you know, there are many shelters across the nation that don't allow a teenager over the, uh, sometimes it's just a male teen. Yes. Sometimes it's a single dad who can't go in, even though he has a five-year-old because he is over 12. There are a lot of barriers of just plain old sexism and, and prejudice. They don't like, you know, you know I always think of uh, Rudolph when he's trying to impress Clarice and he knocks his antlers against another reindeer in the in the little in the old cartoon you know there are little tough boy things that happen and a lot of shelters don't want that so that's a terrible hardship for families and for individuals another one is if you don't have an id you can't come in well a lot of people lose their id when they become homeless or they never had one to begin with so if you can't present an id you can't get sheltered an id could be $32. I mean, that's one of the line items. If someone wants to know how to donate, they could call a local shelter and see if they have a fund just for helping people get their ID back and donate to that because that's huge. Sometimes you can't get a new ID if you don't have your original birth certificate. And then you have to pay the state you were born in to get a copy of your birth certificate. So it's it's very cost prohibitive when you're already broke to start getting the things necessary to seek shelter. So you're broke and you're homeless. And they're asking for things. I, I mean, I, I, I do, I do, I can intellectualize. All right, the necessity to make certain you know who is in this homeless shelter. The example you gave of you know a four-year-old sleeping next to. I get, I get it, but doesn't it kind of smack in the face of? I mean, I mean, if you're in the homeless shelter business, how about that? <laughs> right. You know your clientele is generally broke. Otherwise, why would they be knocking at your door of the homeless shelter? Uh, Okay, I'm not being facetious, and I'm certainly not trivializing. I'm trying to just understand this. Well, you know, it's really important that you are struggling with this. I, I think the example you are setting for your listeners, which hopefully is just sort of setting them at ease that they're confused too. Okay. It's really important because we have so underfunded these are necessities that are struck to if it's not just plain sexism and you don't want a 14 year old boy there if it's if it's we can't have people in here if we don't know who they are because we've got to keep everybody safe Mm. well that's because we've underfunded the system so much that nobody can afford to hire staff to stay awake Mm. we started a zero barrier shelter last year in, in the town i live in and i demanded that the overnight staff get paid 
And one of the reasons I demanded the overnight staff get paid, besides the fact that people should be paid, is mm. because if you if you staff a shelter with volunteers, it's that much harder to fire them. Ah. And if you can't fire the person, you can't demand a certain level of, of work product. Gotcha. And in the work product demands that you stay awake. It demands that you keep people safe. It demands that you are aware of, of how to call for safety if you need it. But we have so underfunded the system that we aren't we haven't prioritized helping people. So the people who still bother helping people don't have any resources with which to help them. Well, you know, I had said to you, I believe somewhere along the line uh, that you gave us so many hard to listen to for sure, but, but necessary to hear statistics. The last time you were on the show and I said, okay, the next time we're going to hear some stories from you. Well, we certainly have started off with that. Some stories, some personal experiences of what's going on. And at the top of the list, I mean, it is so often the money. There are a lot of good people who want to do something. And we're going to talk about what one person can do. And clearly, our guest today, Pat LaMarche, is one person and she has done plenty. Not the least of which is educating us. But I wonder... People are quite literally, and of course we're going into the holiday season and who knows what climate change is doing with the weather, but there are going to be some some cold weather somewhere in this country. And then COVID-19 and another wave. And I don't think we as a public have a clear picture about shelters, clearly, as you pointed out, just because they exist doesn't mean they're financed or functioning properly. And most of all, we don't know who homeless people are. We've got this weirdo Reagan era image, but they're mm-hmm. veterans, they're children, they're the middle class family, and of course, the always the forgotten working poor. Give us a better picture of who's homeless out there. Oh yeah, everybody. I have known a few, very few um, people who were sitting pretty who ended up crashed down into homelessness. Mm. It's usually a pretty long fall that someone else can catch you on your way. You might be the Department of Education's classification of homelessness, which is doubled up. Mm. So your, your daughter gets cancer. And you have a home with two extra bedrooms, so you say, okay, come on home, daughter, and she brings her two other children, and she struggles with her cancer in your home. Mm. And that is technically homeless, according to the Department of Education. Those children, I mean, at any time, she could run afoul of someone's new partner, right? Mom brings her daughter home, but the, the boyfriend doesn't like her. Gotcha. You know, you don't really have a home, but you're, but you have a place to go. Mm-hmm. But when you keep falling to the point that all of your safety net is shredded, then you end up, in my new book, Still Left Out in America, I tell the story of this one young man named Jeff. And I say in the book, you know, in in Dickens, they say, Marley was dead. If you don't believe me, then you won't learn anything. Mm. Well, Jeff was brilliant. And if you don't believe me, then you won't learn anything about homelessness. Mm -hmm. Jeff was absolutely brilliant. He had two master's degrees, one in accounting, and I forget what the other one was in. And he got really sick and he couldn't go to work. He was estranged from his family and he got sicker and sicker and and less capable of making good healthcare decisions and ended up living in an alley between a theater and another building in downtown Harrisburg. Mm. He didn't know what was wrong with him, but because he was too sick to go to work, he lost his job, he lost his health insurance. He ended up literally being saved by Occupy Harrisburg, which was a movement a few years back when a whole pile of people started occupying public space and started out in Wall Street and moved around the country. Mm-hmm. But eventually he just couldn't take it anymore and he dragged his duffel bag up onto a bridge and a driver drove by and he said, I'm just so sick, I don't know what to do. The driver took him to the hospital and the emergency room said, you know, you don't have any insurance, we don't have anything we can do for you and we're sending him home and he said i should just have thrown myself tied myself to my duffel bag and thrown myself off the bridge Mm. and then they kept him so there's a law in pennsylvania it's called being 302'd where you're a danger to yourself or someone else and so they can hold you for 72 hours so only because he had made suicidal comments that he said afterwards he didn't really mean he was just talking about the state of healthcare in the country He was kept for 72 hours, and one of the doctors that saw him said, there's something seriously wrong with this guy, and it's not in his head. Mm. He had stage 2 or 3 colon cancer. Oh, God. 
So when I met him, this man who was brilliant but couldn't navigate a system, especially as it was making him sicker and he was skipping work, he had a colostomy. They removed a large portion of his intestine, and he was coping with his cancer, sleeping on the floors of churches. His colostomy bag would burst. He slept with 70 or so other people on the floor. It was a constant, either constant pain, embarrassment, struggle, having to get the the equipment to change his um, apparatus, and trying to recover from this massive surgery, all of that at the same time. Now, he's not the same homeless as the woman who goes home to live with her mom and brings her kids with her. He is a homeless of a level. Mm. Mm. I don't know that I would have the the strength to survive. Yes. And I still know this man. In going forward, after he healed, he ended up having his colostomy, re, whatever they do, I'm not a doctor. They reattached him. He no longer has the bag. Uh-huh. And he started his own bicycle outreach oh, wow. to help other homeless people fix and repair bicycles so that they can get back and forth to work. Wow. <laughs> so this is a brilliant a brilliant guy who made, maybe he didn't make great healthcare choices. Maybe he should have called his father and said, I forgive you for whatever it is I was mad at you for. And now, now can you help me? Cause I'm really sick. Mm. Whatever other choice someone thinks they might've made for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always am in the housing business. I'm not in the judging business. Mm-hmm. If I were in the judging business, I know a few United States senators that wouldn't have a house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm in the housing business, all I can do is accept people at their face value and try and help them into a home. Yes. So there are I could I could bore you to literal tears all day long telling you stories of amazing people I've met people like Jeff who who for all intents and purposes has won his struggle and many other people who did not fare as well. I'll tell you one other quick story. Yes, please. About a about a veteran just because of Veterans Day and you mentioned that you are one. To me, the veterans are the most, they're the most capable people on the street. Mm-hmm. They are the people who are actually trained to live on the street. They're trained to live in the woods. They're trained to, to, to be strength under pressure, bullets whizzing by. They're still making the decisions. They're training. Like everything else has stopped working, but their training still works. Mm-hmm. And so they are the strength of the homeless community. They are the leadership of the homeless community. And because of our nation's priorities, we pull them out of the homeless community the fastest. So there's more money for homeless outreach for veterans. There's more money for housing for veterans. There's more. There are more resources for veterans. So this actual leadership core of a community is pulled out really as fast as humanly possible. And then the less qualified people to be homeless, for want of a better term, yeah. they live without them. But there was this one gentleman, and he was in the shelter, and the rule was you couldn't leave the building if you were doing your laundry. And if your laundry was left in the washer or the dryer, it would be thrown away. Okay. Now, by the time you're in a shelter, these folks just had a, a like a, a junior high school half locker to keep their stuff in. You don't have much for clothing. Mm-hmm. And so he had to go. He had a job interview, and he asked a woman in the shelter to take his clothes out of the laundry for him. Mm. And she forgot. And when he got back to the shelter, his clothes were thrown away. And that wasn't my department. My department was counseling, helping people get housing. The woman whose program, she was program manager, she ran the building. It was her job to make sure that the facility ran. So she threw his clothes away. And Mm. I was always locking heads with these people because she had a job to do, but her job was stupid, in Mm. my opinion. If she couldn't put some laundry in her in her office and wait for somebody to come back, she was an unimaginative person in my mind. So anyway, this guy came back, and he lost his mind. He was so furious, a level of anger that people would be stunned by, mm-hmm. absolutely stunned by. But he had counted on one person to help him, and she she was human and forgot. Yes. Then the, the organization that was supposed to help him threw his clothes away. Yeah. And so I went out with him and we dumpster dove and climbed through the dumpster to find his clothing and put it back through the washer again. You know, and 
and that was the only thing that calmed him down was saying okay let's let's go get your clothes back yeah. luckily she didn't set them on fire <laughs> we can probably find them so yeah. these are the things that people encounter that and and that level of rage that he was he didn't hurt anybody but he was so angry and that level of rage will generally get you kicked out of a shelter if you're angry which how can you help it yes you'll get thrown out all right we're going to take a break there this is enlightening as disturbing as it is and it is but we are having our image our definition our concept of homelessness reassessed and reestablished is more truthful and this honesty this level of honesty is necessary for all of us stay with us everyone we'll be back with our guest today pat lamache author and certainly extraordinaire in the shall we call it the science of knowing and doing what can one person do to help alleviate homelessness stay with us we'll be right back Welcome to the Andy Fell Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders, those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and our guest today, our Reasonable Voice today, is Pat Lamarche who is an author of a number of, a number of books. And thank you, by the way, sharing them with me, Pat. I forgot to mention that earlier. Thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. You know, the last time we spoke, uh, you mentioned a journal of stories. And I know we've probably delved into a few of those already. But thinking of your journal, first of all, why did you keep it? Was it the writer, journalist in you that made you keep a journal? I mean, with everything else you were doing, what made that a priority? Well, I've always, I, I've, yeah, I think it's the career, you yeah. know, I'm sure you go through the same thing. Yes. Um, you're, you're standing there witnessing something and you say to yourself, this needs to be recorded. Yes. This, this can't be forgotten. Yes. Um, and I have, I have saved some of the most awkward slips of paper that I've mm. written down things that were they're irreplaceable and I, I didn't want to allow myself to forget. But the first real journal of homelessness I wrote uh, started with the vice presidential race when I was I lived in shelters across the nation and homeless situations, slept on the ground um, as part of the campaign because I had an inkling either Cheney or Edwards would beat me. So I thought, <laughs> well, there has to be something positive that comes of this year of my life. Mm. And so I, I recorded the stories of the homeless people I met in this journal. And then from there, now I have books and books and books. You know, the Palomar's presidential library will just be overflowing with <laughs> <laughs> handwritten accounts of other people's lives. Yes. You know, that's the thing about the first book, Left Out in America. It's just a succession of stories of of people I've met and this in their homeless tale that book the still left out in America has got 250 added pages of what I've learned from working inside the system and then the original book is a bonus Sunbury Press my publisher has included that original book at the end of still left out in America so you can still get all of those stories of the people you don't have to buy both books I got you okay what what do we need to know about people calling the police on the homeless what is that about? Oh, 
this weekend, I had such an experience. First of all, you know, defund the police is definitely getting a heck of a rap right now after the, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been breathing a little better this week. I appreciate that. Mm. But um, what defund the police means is don't put all of your community funding into policing. Mm-hmm put some of your community funding into solving other problems. Yes. Because when all that old adage, when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm-hmm. So people, I'm, I'm kind of notorious in certain social media and certainly in my own community. And when somebody has a homeless problem, sometimes they'll just write to me or call me. Mm-hmm. So this week, sadly, people called me later than I wish they had. There was a woman who was on the side of the sidewalk with what looked like four suitcases, and she just stood there all day. And she was in a residential neighborhood. And finally, one of the neighbors contacted me and said, you know, I've called the police twice, and they're not helping her. Hmm. And I said, well, the police don't don't have any tools to help her. And calling the police, I said, what crime did she commit? And she said, well, she's just standing there. I said, well, standing on the sidewalk with four suitcases isn't illegal yet, thank God. So I don't want to insult people who reach out for information, so I have to be really careful. But Mm. I really wanted to ask her, why did you think this was a police issue? And this woman is of the confused notion that the police are also the community caretakers. They're the. I spoke to a sheriff in Fort Smith, Arkansas, one time, who told me, "I'm also the head of the mental health program in this town because I just have to arrest all the mentally ill." Oh, Which he was trying to make a joke, but yes. the point was, there's no other resource. Exactly. So, she and four or five of her neighbors kept badgering, for want of a better word, the police about this woman, and no one was helping her. So I wrote to her the next morning and I said, how's the lady? And she said, the police showed up about 2.30 and they shoved her into the middle of the street and then they arrested her. Oh my God. And I said, well, what did they arrest her for? And she said, I went to the police. I was very upset. So this woman's still awake at 2.30 watching this woman out the window. And she said, I said, why are you doing this to her? And they said she can't stand in the middle of the street that's right and she said but i watched you shove her into the middle of the street so then an ambulance came and they put the handcuffed woman screaming into the ambulance so this woman certainly needed something yeah when the woman asked me what she should do you know 12 hours before the altercation i said go to mcdonald's and buy her a 10 dollar gift card Mm. and give it to her because a gift card allows you to use a bathroom it allows you to get in out of the elements. Mm. You you are a legitimate customer. I don't know what her problem is, but she's obviously not going to budge unless she has some place better to go. And with four suitcases. So I said to the woman, do you know what happened to her luggage? And she said no, that they just shoved her into the end. So, okay, so now she's lost everything. Mm. Have they, you know, and then in Pennsylvania, you can't, you have to be a, a danger to yourself or someone else. Yes. You can't just get 72 hours in a hospital to be evaluated if they don't think you're going to kill yourself. Mm. So the hospital didn't kick her. I mean, didn't keep her. They're going to kick her, right? Yeah. And then she's going to just be homeless in someone else's neighborhood. Without her belongings. Right. Yeah. So who knows what her issue was? Nobody. But this correct solution was not to push the police until they had no other option but to basically assault her to give themselves a... And she's been charged with a crime. So now she's got court costs and other issues. I want to throw in my two cents about the defund the police. We get so caught up in these nice, easy things we can chant. But I'm Mm -hmm. I'm with you, and I've written about this before. Defund the police really means use some of that money for police that are for the protection of the community to hire mental health professionals to travel along with them. Because I have very dear friends who are in law enforcement 
And when I question them about some of the things that have happened, they will say to me, well, there are bad seeds and we're trying to weed them out just as you would want, Marcello, but we're already on that. But they also say what the public needs to understand is that when you pick up the phone and call for help, there are a number of numbers you can call. But when you call the police, you are calling for deadly force. That's the business we're in. Uh, And so if it's not a crime that needs potential deadly force, you need to be calling someone else. Okay, that's my... That's my two cents worth. Uh, Perfectly put, though. Perfectly put. Well, the police told me. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, I want to get back to veterans for a bit. Your stories are overwhelming, and they should be. And what's the thing that's affecting veterans the most? You've told us a wonderful story, and it didn't occur to me. It makes all the sense in the world, is that they are the best equipped to handle being on the street because they've done that in jungles and deserts and so forth. But mm-hmm. what, what... And, they're, and they're trained to save the civilians. Exactly. They're trained to save the... So, so I take a mommy with two little kids and make her instantly homeless, and she's a basket case. Mm. The same thing happens to a veteran, and the next thing I know, I turn around, he's feeding the mommy and the two little kids yes. his lunch. Yes. So, so they're, they're also trained to save the civilians. Yeah. So veterans just have these, this tool set. That's really quite remarkable. I'm an authority on homelessness. I am not an authority on suicide. But the one thing that I do know, you don't have to be homeless to do it. Yes, The epidemic of suicide among people who have served their country is just this overarching, enormous problem that everyone should be considering, whether they're concerned about the homeless or they're concerned about the housed. These veterans are in pain. and, And they're also incarcerated at a much higher rate because we teach them that the solution to a problem is to break it. Mm. And you go in there, you mess up that army installation, you break everything there and we will win. And and so they're they're taught a violent solution. Yes. And then when we bring them home, we abandon them mm. or close to it. And and in the housing world, veterans are more sympathetic to the average person. Part of the reason this woman was arrested this weekend is because that neighborhood she was in wasn't zoned for her to live on their sidewalk. Uh, and whether people want to admit it or not, they wanted her off of their sidewalk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when we when we think about deserving poor, the veterans are at the very top of the list because at least they were willing to do something yes. for their country yes. that nobody else is willing to do. And I think that I'm so glad that the current administration's leaving. We have a lot of work to do. Yes. But just the fact that there's been such a disgusting disregard for the sacrifice made by our military. Yes. The suckers and the losers and the names that they've been called. Well, that's got to rub. Uh, 70 million people are okay with that? Yeah, you know. That's mind-boggling, mind-boggling. How, how do we... You know, we've sort of slid into COVID, not that we can slide out of it, but how do we find a balance between protecting lives from COVID and helping families to maintain their livelihoods? I know that's a broad question, but I mean, within the realm of the new homelessness, uh, the new homeless. Tax Jeff Bezos. Uh Tax Elon Musk. Uh-huh. Tax the one percent. Yeah, you're not going to have a problem with any of this. One of the things that's happened, uh, more money has been allocated for homelessness this year because of COVID, which means our zero zero barrier shelter, which was going to be mass sheltering, thirty or forty people in a in a hallway, has turned into providing hotel rooms. We got a ten thousand dollar grant, which will who knows how long it'll last probably not long if a lot of people present as homeless because each family or individual has to get their own hotel room we can't mass shelter them but there would not be a problem paying these bills if the obscenely wealthy the president paid 750 dollars in income tax last year let's just start with him yes you know it isn't a lack of resources it's a lack of willingness to cultivate the resource and then direct the resource appropriately. And that's all it is. It's simple mathematics. If you're the wealthiest person in the world, mm-hmm. and you live in the United States where a veteran has provided you everything from safety and security to the red light that stops someone from hitting your Bentley, 
Mm, yes. Then you need to pay your fair share. And when we have income inequality like this, and then those people in that 1% are, are unwilling and, and not expected to provide for the common good, we've lost our bearings. Yes, and we're, we're speaking, of course, <laughs> morality. But I wonder if we could get their attention and the attention of the 70 million who think this is all right or normal, let's put it that way, normal, if we talked money. There must be some impact on America's economy that even affects the 1% when you have a growing prison population, unless you own mm -hmm. a prison that is a private prison, and poverty, because at some point, does it not impact on their economy? Can we reach them that way, the 1%? I would think so. You know, the thing is that the, we're talking amounts of money that you and I can't comprehend. Can he, can't even, right? yes, exactly. But the other problem is, maybe you're right, maybe they're making money on the problem. But no, to the average taxpayer, to the average sucker who's still paying their taxes, mm. to the average teacher or policeman or or nurse who's paying eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars last year in income tax while the United States president pays seven hundred and fifty. Yes. That person is paying for prisons and emergency room visits. And I knew one elderly woman who she was on oxygen, she was homeless, and it was a brutally hot week and she was in a park, but I mean it was the kind of heat that stops a fit person from being able to breathe. Mm. And um she would call an ambulance for herself every day. And Again, remember, we can't be in the judging business. Yes. But when the heat got so terrible, she'd call an ambulance. The ambulance would take her to an emergency room. The emergency room which would make her wait four, five, six hours to be seen because she wasn't in immediate need. When they saw her, they'd kick her out again because there was nothing really wrong with her. But she had gotten five or six or seven hours out of the heat. Yes, yes. Actually, I'm kind <laughs> so of impressed with I that. Think, I'm I sorry. Uh, yes, I was going to say <laughs> that's well done. I'm sorry. I wow. Okay, all right. Well, let's give ourselves a little lift a bit here. I, I I'm glad you mentioned the elderly because that's another group. I don't think I did. The point is, as you've made very clear, everyone is potentially at least of the from the middle class, the working poor, the elderly, children, veterans, the possibility, the potential for homelessness, especially in today's economy and COVID and all of that. And speaking of people who have been ignored by the present administration, doctors, nurses, everyone who works in any hospital or care facility, private personal caregivers, I mean, the list goes on. And that's the greatest importance of this show is having you on to make that clear to us. But now, having done that, I want to ask you a question. You you are starting a, new, a comic book. How did you come up with the idea that a comic book would help? Tell me. Tell me. I'm, I'm still pinching myself over this one because I didn't. I got a, contacted about six months ago by amazing comic book artist Jason So, S-E-A-U-X, He's uh, nationally recognized. He makes this Necroman comic that's all mm -hmm. zombies and crazy stuff. And he's yes. young and he's he's just such a talented artist. And he contacted me and said, I want to draw a comic book and I want the hero to be homeless. Ah. Will you write it? And I thought, I don't know how to write a comic <laughs> book. <laughs> you know, but COVID had just hit. I didn't really have, I mean, I, I do a lot of writing anyway. I thought, well, I could tackle it. And I called my baby brother, mm -hmm. who is a comic book aficionado. There just you go. amazing. Um, <laughs> and he helped me with plot lines and ideas and how comics, you know, the, 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 the sink of a comic. And so together with Philip, I, we wrote this comic book but i wanted because i know who the real heroes are in the homeless community sure. my my superhero is not only homeless he's a homeless veteran uh. so my homeless veterans superpower because my brother is brilliant mm -hmm. is he can become invisible uh. which is perfect for homeless people oh, who yeah. are already invisible yeah. and then his kryptonite of course is ptsd no because the big question is, how come he's homeless? He's so capable. He's got, he, he, he can do anything. He can do anything. He's got a superpower. But he's traumatized. And this trauma that he carries with him, that's his kryptonite. And that's the kryptonite of every homeless veteran I've ever met. 
they've got the training that helps them function under the worst conditions. But at the end of the day, they yeah. just can't take it anymore. Yeah. And so it's called Invisible. That's the name of the comic book. We just started a Kickstarter, which ought to go up in two or three days for it, where you know you can get all the levels, the alternative cover. I don't know anything about comics, but I guess collectors love this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I love this book, and it, it's really stretched my brain out of control, you know, sort yeah. of. And then the other thing is, I keep trying to find another way to skin the cat. I keep trying to find another way to tell people the story of homelessness that doesn't turn them off Mm. so that they can learn enough about it to do something about it. And I'm hopeful that the comic will be it. Tell us the the name of the comic book. It went by a little quickly there. Oh, it's Invisible. That's that's the the Ah. title of the comic book is Invisible. Okay. The superhero's name is Mac. He's a Vietnam vet. He's 68 years old. He, he learns. I'll just tell you a little bit of the comic. I don't want to give too much away, but he becomes invisible because he runs into a. The Vietnamese have these sort of cross between a shaman and a, a magician that they have in their folklore. Uh-huh. And he saves the life of this old man's granddaughter. Uh-huh. And when he does, the old man gives him the power to be invisible so he can move through the jungle and not be killed. So that's where he becomes literally a superhero Mm. in Vietnam. But he doesn't need it again. He doesn't need the power again until he becomes homeless. Oh, wow. There's so many twists and turns and levels on that. I'm loving it. I've I've got to see that one. That's for certain. All right. we, We do need to go. But I want to know, first of all, the big question is, what can one person do? And you you are an example of that, and you've given us some examples, but do you have any other specific things that one person, to, just to inspire us all, what can one person do to make a difference here? Well, the, it's the holidays, right? Yes. And the holidays are the best time for any organization that helps, but especially organizations that help the poor. Mm. This is when people volunteer at soup kitchens. This is when people really take a little bit of time to think of those who walk among us and and have less. So one thing a person can do is pick another day of the year and make that Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is that motivates you, Ramadan, whatever your holiness is, make that a different day. So if you're a Christmas worshiper, then make Christmas April 4th. Yes. And do for the poor what you would have done at Christmas time. Because I'll tell you something, by January 2nd, they're going to be forgotten again. That invisibility cloak will be all over them, all over again. So if you can think about being as good as you are this time of year at a different time of year, that will alleviate a lot of the stress. I don't want to recommend people to volunteer right now because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But contact your local aid organization and see what they need. The other thing is, if you can find the time, call up one of the organizations that works with the people in your community, domestic violence or others, and say, is there something I could do to mentor? Oh. Is there a kid I could be reading to on Zoom? Is, is there a kid I could help with their homework? There are things that we can do to help on a very small level. Yeah, but they mean so much and would accomplish mm-hmm and contribute so much. And also that example that you gave about buy a $10 gift card from McDonald's or something and give it to a homeless person that you see. You could be passing them out. I mean, if you did five, it's $50. My goodness. Anyway, all right. Throw out some titles again of past books and where they're published, how we can get them and so forth. And then we do have to go. Okay. Well, if you go to patlamarsh.com, P-A-T-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E dot com. All the titles are there. There's a local bookstore option to buy all of my books. So if you want Still Left Out in America, you can buy it at a local bookstore or you can just click the other button and you'll go straight to Amazon. The other book series that is great for the holidays, if you're thinking of getting a young person or someone young at heart, a better, easier way to handle the homeless story, you can buy the first and second installment of the Priscilla book series that's a child it's not really chill it's it's late elementary age kind of harry potter-ish without any of the millions um all of the money from these books go to help people none of the money comes to me so you know you can buy five priscilla books and give them to all your grandchildren and you'll just be doing something good for a homeless person you have never met so the first priscilla book is priscilla the princess of the park and the second one is priscilla and the snow fort And this is a woman who's in a park, and eventually the children come to learn that that's where she lives. 
So it's a, another you know, way to skin the cat, another gentler way to tell the story of homelessness. Yes. But the story of homelessness is, is our story, our American story. It is certainly a part of it. So at whatever age-appropriate book, it seems that Pat LaMarche has provided it. And now she's coming out with a comic book entitled Invisible, and it's just... Well, as she would put it, another way to skin the cat. But if one one way or another, she can reach us, and we need to respond by being the one person, knowing what they can do. And she's come up with some great ideas to share today. Pat, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's just well, I can't uh, thank you enough for caring about it. Well, it's 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 one thing I can do. How's that? Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody, we're going to say goodbye to the rest of you and wish uh, you and Pat LaMarche all the very best. A shout out to her her great younger brother (laughs) and her partner uh, who inspired this comic book and all that's been done and is about to be done. How's that, Pat? Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye-bye. And now, from WatchFireMusic.com, vocal artist... Jenny Burton, singing Who Will Heal the World. for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. I know tis the season to be joyful and full of the peace that comes with giving, but it's also the season of Ferguson and I can't breathe. So here are my six holiday wishes for us. One, all American men, give all women ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. Two, Regardless of age or political affiliation, let's give all Native Americans, all Hispanics, all Asians, and give all low-income employees on farms or fast food establishments a decent minimum wage of $10.10 an hour. 3. To corporate America, especially CEOs on Wall Street who think themselves too big to fail, I ask you, if you can't imagine poorer brown and black people as equal human beings to you, at least value them as your customers, clients, and as consumers, and treat them like the gold in your bank vault. 4. To my fellow white Americans, we have a Benjamin Franklin moment upon us now. Ferguson is either America's rising or setting sun, and now is the time to extend a hand forward and upward to all Americans. 5. Since there is no peace on earth without justice for all, 
This is an easy wish to fulfill. I ask all Americans to simply stop shooting each other. In particular, please, officers of the law, stop enforcing the law by shooting unarmed young black people. And please, don't let another human being die in your arms screaming, I can't breathe. And finally, six. Because I can't breathe free until all Americans can, I ask all Americans of any skin color, male or female, no matter what your political or sexual preference is or immigration status, all Americans who have been made to live like second-class citizens and made to feel their life doesn't matter, I ask you, with the wisdom of a Gandhi and the courage of a king, in peaceful protest, make them hear you. Make them hear you. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Happy New Year. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.